0: in the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: It is Friday and we have a chance to dig into another article in the Lutheran Witness today. Mm-hmm. I'm excited because another seminary professor this time. Yeah,
1: I like <laughs> learning from seminary. It's like it's like super tiny mini educational class in 12 minutes.
0: You know, I think <laughs> I think as many times as we get to talk to semin- seminary professors, maybe we should just add all this up. Maybe we could get degrees. Yeah. What do you think? Hey, I'm,
1: I'm cool with that. <laughs> I don't know if they would
0: do that for us. <laughs> thanks so much for uh, to our friends at Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. edu and I also want to mention you got to stick around for the second half today mm, uh, yes. new documentary that comes out today uh, I had the chance to talk with them you did not but I you'll know, get to I listen uh, I had to record that um, so you'll you'll get to to listen well you weren't here the day that we had here. to record so uh, so stick around for that. That no, the Kara, Kara Tippett's story um, that, uh, that's uh, coming out on digital today. So the documentary, mm-hmm. got to stick around for that. Joining us by phone, the Reverend Dr. Joel Bierman, Professor of Systematic Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, author of In Christ and in the World in the March, issue of The Lutheran Witness. Dr. Bierman, thanks for being our guest on The Coffee Hour. Yeah, my pleasure. In Christ and in the World. <laughs> we always hear this phrase, in, not of, Uh, What do we mean by that when we say in, not of? Well, it depends on
2: who you're talking Mm -hmm. to. (laughs) I would say what we would mean by that, if we're um, trying to be faithful to our confession in the Lutheran Church, would mean that we want to pay attention to what has actually been taught in Scripture and to our Church's heritage. And the Church's right teaching would be to say that God has created us as creatures who live in the world, we live and function in the world with responsibilities there, but we also have an identity that is beyond simply this world; that also extends into who we are in Christ. And so we recognize that we're not simply normed or named by the world; we're normed and named by Christ. But we function in that world in Christ's way.
1: How do those two? Uh, they're not really identities, but how do those two realms maybe uh, relate? <laughs>
2: yeah, relate to each other and you your you wrestling for the right term is exactly part of the problem people have been wrestling for terms for a long time and the terms you choose kind of start to shape how you think about it so it's not insignificant but um the idea is like these two areas of influence and the way i would approach this what i believe scripture does is that these are two distinct ways that god is at work in the world in one area he's at work establishing relationships with himself this is the work he does through the church where he declares forgiveness of sins in christ makes people his own. Then he's also at work in the world through the material things of the world, through institutions like government and families and all the things that make the world work, because this is, after all, God's creation, and he actually sends Jesus for the sake of the creation, not to release us from the creation, but to send us back into it. So both areas matter to him a lot, and we see them relating together as we function as Christians living in the world, knowing who we are in Christ, but then knowing we have responsibility to carry out that work in the world, and how those two realities fit together has been the subject of much discussion through 2,000 years of church history, and Christians have very different ways of looking at this, which are quite varied, and that makes it very interesting.
0: Why why realms? You mentioned that uh, to wrestle with and try to find the right words to describe that um, is, is good to wrestle, or is... is um uh, it 's good to wrestle with it, but, but also important why realms i, I, I you know i 've heard the the uh, the term kingdoms used before yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, i don 't know if i 've heard too many other estates, estates thank you. Yeah. Uh, I knew there was another term why <laughs> why is realm uh, why is that a good term to use to describe well these?
2: The, the, the realms is sort of a neutral term which we can load with a little more meaning, which is why it 's helpful. Kingdoms is the more popular one. the idea of the doctrine of the two kingdoms has been around people talk about that and most Lutherans quite readily identify, yep, that's what I believe. I believe in the doctrine of the two kingdoms. Uh, The problem is Luther never really talked about a doctrine of the two kingdoms. This is an idea we've kind of read back into this. And in fact, it was a guy from the mid-20th century called Barth, the theologian, uh, who attacked Lutheranism for causing the rise of Hitler, and he said it's the cause of their two kingdoms doctrine. So he vilified it. So a lot of Lutherans have been rather shy of using that term. I also am wary of that term, two kingdoms, because Luther would sometimes talk about there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of God and Christ and the kingdom of Satan, and these are at mm-hmm. odds and at war with each other, which is quite right. But then if we take that two kingdoms and we try to apply the two kingdoms of the government and the church, we think, well, church is clearly God's, and that means the government must belong to Satan, and that creates all kinds of problems and lots of confusion and wrong thinking about this. That's why, for me, two kingdoms, God and Satan, fine. realms that's God's activity in both realms and that's why we need to use the terminology a little more carefully
0: so is one inherently good and one inherently bad
2: in the two realms not at all that's the key here and so this is the point these are both God's realms so the creation is God's creation he put Adam and Eve into the world said take care of it it was his idea his plan he loves his creation and what we're looking forward to at the end of time is when christ returns he's going to restore and bring the creation back to god's full plan it's not going to be a destruction of the material it's going to be a recreation of the material so we're looking forward to new heavens and a new earth and that is part of our responsibility today is to care for this world to be involved in this world because that's what we do as creatures that's what we were created to do so it's god's good creation they're both good things and you can even make the case that even the need for a spiritual realm or the right hand realm of God's church and the grace being delivered is necessary only because of sin and man's failure and once we have the restoration both of the kingdoms come together again in God's complete rule over everything in a perfect unified way
1: so then how do we how do we take this and apply it practically yeah, um, to our to our everyday living i mean i can i can uh Man, words are hard. You can wrap your mind around yes, it somewhat? Like, I can acknowledge okay. it. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a Gnosis. word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I can understand it uh, in my head, <laughs> but but the, how, do, how does it play out in in, uh, in daily living? There you go. It,
2: yeah, it plays out in some really concrete things, like you can embrace investing in your family. You can do things for the sake of the creation. You can work hard at your job knowing this is what God has given you to do. The, the whole area of vocation, which has been enjoying a resurgence in our teaching lately in the last few decades, which is well long overdue and a very good thing. So vocation fits right into this, because vocations all happen in the temporal realm, in the world around us. And that's a good thing. And it also means we don't have to be afraid of the world like, oh, it's going to get me. But we also recognize it's a broken world, often at odds with God's purposes. And so then we see my task as a Christian is to do all I can to try to bring the truth to that world and bring it more in correctly, in line with God's purposes. That's why we have the imagery of salt and light in the world. It's for the sake of the world that we exist. We're not just here waiting for everything to burn up and go away. We're we're doing our best to try to make the world the way God intends it while we're here living in this world.
0: In my former life, <laughs> be- before I had the the privilege of pushing buttons and turning on microphones and and, and talking (laughs) daily. Which is a
1: very important vocation. It is. It is. (laughs)
0: Uh, I I lived in a community um, not too far from a, a religious community, uh, they They were much like Amish, they were not Amish, but mm. y- if you looked at them from the outside, you might assume that they were uh, Amish because of plain yeah. dress and the way they lived and uh, they made amazing food that was so delicious and I went there every Tuesday to eat because their food was amazing um, and it was It was appealing because in many ways they didn 't wrestle with or struggle with some of the the issues and the temptations that we do in um, in mainstream culture, in mainstream yeah. society, is the is the cloistered life the answer? No.
2: Short <laughs> answer, no. It is not. There's an appeal to that. I get that. The reality is that even if you live a cloistered life, the world is still going to impact you, and the temptations will be there. It might be different, but you're not going to ever be able to cut yourself off, nor should you. This is the problem. To flee the world into a cloister is to flee what God put you here to do. It's quite interesting that when Luther was attacking monastic vows and addressing the problem of monks and nuns, which were just rife in the Middle Ages, it was a huge issue. When he went after that, most of us as Lutherans would assume, oh yeah, he doesn't like them because they're trying to earn their salvation. He's attacking them because they're all a bunch of works righteous people, that's what he hates. But when you actually look at the document he wrote about this, he mentions that as a problem, but his real concern, what he's really kicked off about, is the fact that these are people who are leaving behind what God has given them to do, their families, their vocations, their responsibilities in the world, and instead they're pursuing self-chosen works, which God never asked them to do, and this is wrong. That's what he is attacking. It's fascinating. So what Luther is arguing is that if we're gonna follow Christ faithfully, we are driven into the world, not away from it. And the cloistered life, as attractive as it might be, is actually denying what God has put you here to do. <laughs>
1: Interesting. I know some of my friends and I. Uh, I went to a Concordia, so you know we're 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 living amongst Lutherans. We have a chapel on campus. We can, but, you know, we we get chapel every day. We, we live among people that believe the same things we do, and then we we get out into the world, and then we're like, wait, where, where did all that go? So, well, we yeah. often we often talk about, you know, we should all buy houses next to each other, and then have live a, little, a cloistered life. Live a cloistered life, but not really a cloistered life, because then we can have, you know, somebody's house. We'll have a little chapel in it, and we can do our, you know, community services together but then we'd still be
2: in the world. I don't know. Well, no, but see, that's not bad, not a bad move. There's a difference. There's a difference between building a wall and leaving the world behind and actually being intentional about being the community of Christ in the world. And so the idea of coming together to worship in a sanctuary, which is separate from the world, and a place where we hear God's Word, we celebrate His truth, we live as people together God's way, it's different than the world, and it gives a strong testimony to the world. That's beautiful. And the idea of actually spending time with other Christians beyond Sunday morning, having intentional times to share meals together, share playing with kids together, and even maybe buying homes next to each other so we can influence one another, that's not bad. I don't have a problem with that. I think there's something attractive about that. The questions always are kind of where you draw the lines, and there aren't hard and fast rules about that, which is what makes this so much fun to talk about and so interesting because there's some room for interpretation.
0: That's far more pious than my reasons. I thought they had good food because it wasn't tainted by the world.
2: Oh, well, that's not bad either. Food's, <laughs> food's part of the material world, and I also embrace that. That's
0: a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are just about out of time. Uh,. Good sources to, uh, to help us wrestle with these subjects more in, uh, as we think about uh, the two realms and uh, maybe want to dig into this more, Dr. Berman?
2: Yeah, well, there's an author named Robert Benne, B-E-N-N-E, who's written a couple of books on this topic. One's called Ordinary Saints, kind of dealing with our life in the world. It's pretty good. He's also written one called The Paradoxical Vision. A little older, but it's very helpful. I myself have a book, a little longer treatment than my article, on the, the Witness, and that's called Holy Citizens, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy Citizens, and that explores this much more thoroughly.
0: Very good. The Rev. Dr. Joel Bierman, Professor of Systematic Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and author of In Christ and In the World in the March issue of The Lutheran Witness. Thank you so much for being our guest on The Coffee Hour today.
2: It was my pleasure. Thanks much.
0: Coming up in just a little bit, uh, I'm had the chance to recently talk with the filmmakers of this documentary called The Long Goodbye, Kara Tippett's Story. Uh, Fascinating story. And um, well, stick around. You got to learn the story. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golsa.